Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. brothers and sisters. This is Bryce Ferguson. I'm glad to be back with you here for another week in God's Word together. I want to start off today by saying I have officially launched the Patreon fundraising platform for Into the Word Ministries, which is, yes, still humble in size and scope, still in its infancy of its lifetime, God willing, simply because this is the work of the Holy Spirit, that I am seeking the Holy Spirit to do the work. This is not in my own power. This is not about my name. This is not about anything that has to do with me, except simply being willing and wanting for God to be glorified and for the Spirit to work through me. So every week, we bring a new teaching from God's Word, exegetically going through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, to draw out what is in these verses. The Bible is so fascinating as the Word of God because it is living and active. It is dynamic. And every time you read it in faith, there is something new that God brings to light. And when you hear a different speaker, a different preacher preach on the same section of Scripture, you still hear something different because it is the interpretation of the individual through the work of God by the Holy Spirit that brings us to life. And this is a testimony to the living and active and dynamic nature of our almighty God. And it is so wondrous and so beautiful. And there are costs associated with beginning this ministry. There are costs that go all the way back to the start of this ministry, which was January 1st of this year. And I'm noticing in size and scope of that as I need some help. And that's why I'm inviting you to join me as brothers and sisters in Christ, as faith seekers, if you are not yet a Christian, to join me in prayer. To join me in prayer for the work of this ministry that is set before us. For those who would hear the word, but again, I pray that it is not of Bryce Ferguson that they are hearing, but it is a conduit for the Holy Spirit to speak, for the word of God to speak, for Jesus and God the Father to speak about his glory. So that all of us could marvel at the wonder and the wondrous nature of our God, who loves us so much that Jesus Christ came to earth for his compelling love for us so great that he would die on a cross for our sin and be resurrected 
to the right hand of God the Father in the throne room of heaven. And he did it for us because of his great love. So that those who hear this message, those who hear the spoken word of God, may repent of their sins, trust in Christ, and forever be changed and be part of the kingdom of God. That is the mission. And for those who are listening, who are brothers and sisters in the faith, that we might be encouraged. We all need encouragement by God's grace. I have believed almost all of my life. I received Christ when I was very little. We still need encouragement. We still need to hear the spoken word of God regularly, weekly, perhaps daily even, by different speakers. And we need to be in the word and reading his word. But there's something about the spoken word. There is a mystery and there is a power in it by the Holy Spirit's work that is so special and so engaging. And it is something, again, that I say, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe this is not of my own accord. It's definitely not from my own strength because the Lord is the ever-present one. He is the one who has created all things. He is the one who has gifted any and all things. He is the one who empowers us. He is the one who gives us strength. He is the one who gives us energy. He is the one who gives us focus. He is the one who gives us determination. He is the one who calls us to faith. And we can only come to faith because of what he first did in coming to us. And it is for all of these reasons that I felt called by God to do this. It's really because I felt called by God to do this. And I can think of nothing more important than preaching the word. And I want to be obedient to God. And so my invitation for you is to join me in prayer. And my invitation for you is that you would pray and ask if you have been encouraged by this ministry, if you have been challenged by this ministry, because it is the word of God, and sometimes it challenges us, and it doesn't just specifically encourage us, but that is the word of God doing it, that you would join me by being a contributor with small financial gift on a monthly basis as we pursue 501c3 nonprofit status. Now, full disclosure, we are not a nonprofit ministry yet. So this is the first phase or what I call the initial phase as hopefully soon we will get to that point. But my invitation to you is to join me on Patreon at Into the Word Ministries. So it's patreon.com forward slash Into the Word Ministries. There'll be a link in the episode notes of this podcast episode that will bring you there and then you can see our Patreon page and pray about becoming a regular contributor. And I'm extremely thankful for any of you who are in the audience, any of you who are listening today, any of you who would join me in prayer, any of you who would feel led to be a financial contributor to this ministry. It means a lot to me. And all glory be to God in this. Let's open in prayer. And then today we're going to be in Genesis 17. Our wonderful God, our great provider, Jehovah Jireh, 
the one who has seen the future, the one who knows the future, the one who knows the future of each one of our lives and the future of our nations and the future of all things. God, your story is living and active and there is a purpose and there is an intention and there is a reason very specific that you are doing right now. This is your story that we are living in. This is your story about your glory. And you are testifying to all known things in creation about your glory. Oh God, may we lay aside our desires for our own lives. What society and culture pushes on us and the message that they voice with their mouths, that you are to live your own life, that you are to make the most of your own life so that your own name could be great. No, we don't want to live as humans for ourselves because it's all your story and it's all about your glory. Holy Spirit, help us to lay aside our desires and our failings when we default and we turn aside to our own selves. And Holy Spirit, turn us back to our God. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. If you have your Bible, please open with me to Genesis 17, verse 1. And of course, last week we spoke about Sarai and Abram and Hagar, and Hagar, who was to have a son. And we read in the last verse of chapter 16. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And what is the first verse of chapter 17? When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. That's 13 years have passed. And we have no recording of it in scripture. So much of the forefathers, so much of the stories of the lives of the people in the Bible, including our Savior, Jesus Christ, we have glimpses, we have pieces, but we don't have the whole, we don't even have the great majority of their lives. We have pieces and we have parts inspired by the Holy Spirit to be in the Holy Word of God for us. But just to say, it's been 13 years. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. 
And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. We'll stop there in verse 8 today. Thirteen years. Thirteen years between the end of chapter 16 and the start of chapter 17. And we'll get into the next section of chapter 17 next week, and we will continue to realize this conversation that God is having with Abraham now. His new name, Abraham, named by God. 13 years. Just 13 years since the incident with Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. When Sarai rushed God's promise. And she said, perhaps I will have a child because Hagar would bear it with my husband. And that could be my child. Perhaps that would be a union that would produce a child. And it was a union that would produce a child, but that would not be the child of the promise because God made a promise to Abram. And this, of course, between the context of, or in the context, rather, of Abram and Sarai. And God would be faithful to that. God's call here at the start of 17 is 24 years after God called Abram in chapter 12. 24 years, that's a long time. That's a long time to wait on God's promise when he said that you will have an offspring and that your offspring will be so numerous it'll be like the dust. It'll be like the stars if you're able to number them. You will be a, multi, a father of a multitude of nations. Abraham shall be your name. Well, let's first back up to verse 1. He appears to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. The Lord makes a declaration of himself. He has spoken with Abram before. He had called Abram in chapter 12 out from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, out from the pagan worship practices of those people, and called him to himself, called him to embrace faith in God. The Lord had a relationship with Abram. And he comes here in 17.1 and he says to Abram, who he has a relationship with, this is my declaration of myself. This is who I am. I am God Almighty. Almighty means he can do anything at any time. That he is the creator God of all things. And he is the ruler God of all things. It's not just that he created all things. He's also in charge of all things at all times. He's the possessor of heaven and earth. 
And God says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me, Abram, and be blameless. God reaffirms his call for Abram to walk in holiness here. Just the start of this conversation, he is saying, this is the expectation. Now, does this mean that there was a pattern of unfaithfulness in Abram's life? Before this, we've got a 13-year gap. Is that possible? He is a sinner. We've already read that he has sinned multiple times here in the text. Sure, that's possible. Or is it simply that God is speaking his expectation for Abram's life, for his calling in God, for his holiness? To walk before the Lord and be blameless or be righteous or to be holy, to be set apart from the world. God called him to be set apart from Ur of the Chaldeans. In chapter 12, when he called him out from the world, out from the wilderness and to God. See, when God calls, it's out from and it's to something. It's not just out from and to be aimless. There is a direction. There is an intentionality. There is a purpose. God is intentional. Walk before me. Walk before me. Don't just walk. Walk before me. Present yourself to me. Be in a relation, a personal relationship with me. Walk before me and be blameless. The world is full of sin. The world is full of darkness. The world is full of people chasing their own desires, the cravings of the flesh, anger, lust, greed, jealousy. Havoc, chaos, dissension, strife. God is saying, don't be like the world. So as I have called you, so I want you to be. Verse 2, that I may make my covenant between me and you. God makes a covenant. You think of the marriage vows, it is a marriage covenant that I will be faithful. The expectation is that I will be faithful and my spouse will be faithful or this spouse will be faithful and their spouse. I just try to use two examples there. So the man here will be faithful to his wife at the altar and the wife at the altar would be faithful to her husband at the altar. God is saying, be faithful. I will be faithful. Be faithful in this covenant. That I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. The multiplication here is what God has said all along. This promise of the offspring, this promise, the child of the promise, and then offspring and offspring into your 
to your offspring, I will give this land. To your offspring of all their sojournings, I will give this land. And to their offspring after them. God is saying, I want to multiply you greatly. Let us walk in the ways of the covenant so that the covenant may be maintained. The neighbor fell on his face. His response is to fall on his face, and we know this is worship. This is holy fear for God's presence before him. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. Okay, God is saying that I, back up, verse 2, that I may make my covenant between me and you. God has already made a covenant with him in chapter 15. Remember, we read about that. The smoking fire pot and the flaming sword passed through the sacrifices that were split in two that God said to lay out. And God made his covenant with Abram. And God says to him here again in verse 4, Behold, my covenant is with you. It's already, it's existing. It is with, this is a relationship. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. See, God creates or sets the expectation for what he is doing in the life of Abram. And he's about to give him a new name as a seal on the covenant. Because God establishes Abram's identity, he is now going to be Abraham. And that what he has said all along is what he is going to do. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. So mirroring that, verse 5, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Who did it? God did it. Who is the one who called Abram out from paganness? God did. Who is the one who created Abram's life? God did. Who is the one who led Abram to Canaan to show him what would be the promised land God did? Who is the one who, would prom who promised that Abram would have a son in his old age? God did. Who is the one who comes to Abram to make a covenant with him? God did. And God says, I have made you. I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Abram doesn't need to rely on his own strength to do it. God is doing it. God has said he will do it. God is doing it. And here God says, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. That is present tense. I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, that's future. Because that hasn't happened yet. 
The multitude of the nations hasn't happened yet. God esteems on Abram. By verse 5 here, it's Abraham, the father of a multitude of nations. And that's what Abraham means. That God is the one who has made him a father. God is the one who would bring forth the child of the promise. God is the one who would bring this to pass. Yes, it would be a miraculous work in his old age and Sarai's old age. But God is the creator God of all things. God is the sustainer God of all things. God is the ruling God of all things. There are no bounds to his limits. There are no bounds to his work. Not even scientific laws as we know them today contain our God. If he wants to defy the laws of science, it's rare, but it happens. Because God is God. And therefore, if a man, a biological man, is too old to produce that which needs to be produced to produce an offspring, or a biological woman is too old in the scientific sense to produce that which is required to produce an offspring, God still says, I'm going to do this. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. This is not just for Abraham. Now Abraham and his son Isaac, the child of the promise. This is not just for Isaac's son. This is an endless line of descendants in an everlasting covenant. And what is the everlasting covenant? What is this covenant that is being handed down and will be handed down and will be handed down to be God to you and to your offspring after you? God wants to make his home with man. He has chosen Abram. He has called him out from the wilderness, from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he has chosen him to be the father. Because God wants to have a relationship with man. See, this is why we were created. We were created to be known by God. And we are known by God, but we are also created to know God. God knows us because he created us. God knows us because he knows everything. But we were created for a relationship with God. And a relationship is what? It's not one way, it's two ways. That is the definition of a relationship. It's both ways. Both people, two people, both ways. Knowing and being known. Loving and being loved. Speaking and listening. Speaking and listening. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession 
and I will be their God. God says he's, he is God Almighty. He comes to Abram here at the start of 17. He says, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that we may have this covenant, which we already have, but that we may have this covenant in faithfulness. You can have a marriage, and if your marriage is grounded in faithfulness, it's grounded in God, first of all, and then it's grounded in faithfulness, it will be a fruitful marriage. It will be a good marriage. It will be a God-glorifying marriage. And each marriage still has their struggles because they're, they're combined, they're made with two imperfect people. But... If God is on the throne of your marriage, if you're faithful in your marriage covenant with your spouse, I do believe it will be in very much of the, the great majority of circumstances, by all accounts, a very good and fruitful, God-glorifying marriage. Because that is what a marriage covenant is to be. It's to be about faithfulness. God sets this expectation here. And he says, this is the expectation. Abram, walk before me and be blameless and we will have our covenant together. And it's not just going to be for us. It's going to be for your offspring. And I will be his God. Oh, and it's for his offspring. And I will be their God and for their offspring and their offspring and their offspring and their offspring, a multitude of nations. And I will be their God. They will be my people. I will be their God. Because it is an everlasting covenant. You know, on the topic of God giving Abraham a new name. God coming to Abraham over and over again, who I will now refer to as Abraham, since we're at that point in the text. God had appeared and had conversations with Abraham multiple times from the initial call in Genesis chapter 12. And he had had this personal relationship and he had said, you may have been aimless before. You may have not known what your life was to be about before, but now I am telling you that you are to walk before me and be blameless. I am going to show you what your life is for. And I believe when we know who we are, it drives everything else that we do in this life. Our knowledge of who we are impacts our thoughts, our perceptions, our feelings, our hopes, our dreams, everything. And many people do not know who they are. 
You can see it when you look at them. In this world, you pass people every day. They adorn themselves with unconventional and bizarre trappings or like things. I'll just say I want to be as general as, as possible, but still communicate it. And I think through the spirit, you can infer uh, different aspects. The people are trying to do things to their body or present them present themselves in a way that is unnatural or it's odd or it's offensive or it's just obscure. They try to identify with perhaps the hot topic of the moment in the culture, and I see this a lot right now. And when the new culturally popular rebellious act against God then becomes the new popular one, they identify with that also because they want to be seen as popular or the thing of the moment as our culture defines it. And whatever they held on to before that was popular, they'll kind of sweep that under the rug and they're done with that and they're trying the new because they're not grounded. They don't have a foundation because they are wandering because they're lost and they don't know who they are. God gives us our grounding. Think about that word literally for a moment, grounding. In the violent storms of the Southeast, or in the dry, say, electrical storms of the Midwest, and I guess the South, when if you look at the sky, you would either say, I'm going to take shelter and think it, it's absolutely dangerous out here and chaotic because you don't want to be the tallest thing in the field. And there's nothing taller than that. A grounding rod planted firm in the soil is secure in the soil first, and then it allows the high voltage of the swirling storm to pass right through the rod. Or think, as, think of it as the trial or suffering passes through the one say by God. It's not that you're not affected by it. It's not that you don't have to endure it or whether it you do. But we as believers do not have to absorb all the chaos and the discord of life, the attacks of Satan and his evil ones. It doesn't end with us. It's we're not going to be the end point for that. Because our identity gives us grounding. God has given us a new identity in him. When chaos comes, God doesn't leave us out in the dark, in the middle of a storm, unsafe or untethered. No. Instead, because we are in God, he gives us identity in him, faith in him, hope in him. That one, God knows all things. And two, that as believers, God has all things securely in his hands. Therefore, God has us securely in his hands. God had been telling Abraham this multiple times over the last 24 years. But 24 years can feel like a really long time. 
Abraham believed in his heart. And then at other times, he questioned God because he struggled with believing in God and that God would bring it to pass because 24 years is a long time to wait. But at any given moment, God had given Abraham everything he needed to stand on his two feet and say assuredly, God is in control and what he has said he will do. And when we as believers today say that, that God is in control and what he has said he will do, that is worshiping God. And we're, that is worshiping God for who he is. We're testifying to the world and to the spiritual world of who God is and that I individually am a follower of God. Now, folks, this is a powerful testimony. We understand this in part, but we don't understand this in full. And the scripture talks about how we are testifying to the spiritual beings about who God is in God's glory. And it is the spirit within us who continues to reaffirm to us God's truth and God's word. Looking back to the world, we can see that those who work themselves to death, striving to find an identity, but still haven't found it. And we see those working full-time jobs and coming home and going back the next day again and again, and they're longing for something more. And we see those who appear to have given up on life because they still haven't found an identity worth pursuing. And in all this, Jesus says, come to me, you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. And to the brothers and sisters who give themselves to God, he said in Jeremiah 31, 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. See, all the way forward to the book of Jeremiah, God is being faithful. God's desire is to be in a relationship with his people. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. If you're looking for identity, you can find your identity in God. And you will only find true identity in God. Because once you know who you are, it changes everything. You may struggle to get up in the morning. It may be a struggle. You may be what, at what you dis determined to be, what you would say to be a dead-end job. You may be depressed. You may be sad. You may be grieving. You may say, what's the point? You may say, what am I doing? You may say, I really want something more. And when you give your life to Christ, 
and you say, I'm not living for myself anymore. I wake up every morning because God is the ruler of all things, because he is the creator God of all things, the sustainer God of all things. He's possessing heaven and earth right now, every single moment, every single day, and he has a plan. And I have a hope and a future because of God. That my hope is not in this world. That my hope is not in a small paycheck or a dead-end job or difficult family circumstances or anger with my friend who's angry at me for whatever reason that I don't have to define my life by people dying around me and think I'm just sitting around waiting for the same. What's the point? God steps in and says, I'm calling you out from this world. I'm calling you to myself and I'm going to give you a new identity in me. That I want to make a covenant with you in terms of a personal relationship, that you would repent of your sin and trust in my son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a baby and died on a cross for your sin and was resurrected to God the Father because death could not hold him. And this will utterly and completely change your life. Yes, you still may wake up tired in the morning. Yes, you still may be sad. Yes, you still may deal with depression. But God changes everything. And now you have an identity in him. Now you have a purpose for your life. It is to glorify God. You're not working out of the simplistic or pagan or philosophical reasons for morality anymore. No, all of those to the side. Even societal law, civil law. You're not looking to be a law keeper for governmental reasons. You're doing it to glorify your God. Because in obeying the government... In doing things which are good and right and holy, I will say even before the word moral, you are glorifying God. And God is seeking all people on earth to repent of their sin, trust in him, and glorify him. And this will set the course of your life. And you say, Bryce, what's the next step? And that is to proclaim what I just said. To proclaim Matthew 28, Jesus said, this is the great commission. Go and tell everybody. Tell the world about my life, Jesus Christ. That I was sent from God to die on a cross for your sin so that you could have life. The mission before us is great. The purpose before us is incredible. Your life now has incredible meaning because God wants you to glorify him and to tell other people. To preach the kingdom of God. Because this will utterly transform their lives and give their lives meaning like it gives our lives meaning.
now. There is no greater love that anyone could have than the love of God. There is no greater relationship that anyone could know than the relationship with God personally. You don't need to go through a priest to talk to God. God came so that we could speak directly with him. And Jesus, through his shed blood on the cross, is the great mediator. And he even intercedes for us, the Spirit as well, with our prayers. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Many people in this world are on the wide path which leads to destruction. And I say this with great sadness as they chase their work, their money, fame, vanity, health. That seems to be the really hot one. They're chasing health, chasing health. And they're still going to die in their physical body because all of us are going to die in our physical body. It's good to be healthy. It's good to make good decisions. It's good to work. The Bible talks a lot about being responsible and providing for yourself and for your family. But people are chasing all of these things. And still, it does not give them the identity that they hope it will. It does not give them the identity which matters. And then there's those people who have, for all practical purposes, given up. They also are lacking identity. God steps in and he says, I'm right here. I'm the God of all things. I created you. I love you. I want to give you a new mind, a new heart, and a new name in me. God is waiting. God is patient. God is patiently waiting for you. If you're a believer, God is patiently waiting on you in relationship. We talked about in recent weeks, how do you wait on the Lord? We inevitably have to wait because things don't happen in our timing. Maybe every very, 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 very small fraction of the time, something happens in your individual preferred timing, but... The great majority of the time, it doesn't happen in our preferred timing. Therefore, we must wait on the Lord. But how do we wait? Do we wait with grumblings? Do we, do we complain about this and complain about that? Do we have a critical spirit and a critical nature so, that, so much so that it seeps out of us? It says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the people in your life know what you have in your heart. 
because you're talking about it? Are you critical? Are you grumbling? Are you bitter? God wants his people to wait on him and do so with patience and perseverance. James 1.4 says that perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. This was James, the brother of Jesus, writing. God knows that life is long for most of us. That it feels long is what I mean by that. All of us live to different ages. God knows that it feels long. When we're waiting on something. When we desire something, even something good. And the good things that we desire are just that. They're good desires. And God wants us to be patient. And God wants us to be faithful. Because God is being patient and faithful with us. Let's pray. Our loving, loving, loving God. Our patient and faithful God. The God of the covenant. The God of the covenants. The God of the everlasting covenant that you will be their God and that they would be your people. You invite us in, calling us out from the world and inviting us into a personal relationship with you, which changes everything. It doesn't always even make sense in the eyes of the world because we're giving up so much, they would say. We're giving up this and we're giving up that and we're giving up all these things which are great in the individualistic, realized, enlightened mindset. But all of those things will burn where moth and rust destroy because we want that treasure buried in a field. We want to know the creator God of all things and to have a personal relationship with you and be forever changed. And then we realize none of those other things even matter. Holy Spirit, change us by the power of our God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Join me next time as we continue with the story of Abraham, chapter 17.